This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And just like that, we're back. It is Thursday morning, February 4th, year of our Lord, 2021, on the heels of a big signing day. We've got a whole lot to talk about there. Happy to have you with me this morning or afternoon, however you choose to listen, wherever you choose to listen. Thank you for listening. Five-star reviews, always appreciated. We're trying to get to 2,000 by the end of spring football. Again, as I told you Tuesday, the detractors just flat out don't think we can do it. A lot of doubters out there, you know, in the podcast five-star rating world. It's not much unlike college football. And even if I am making all this up, just pretend I'm not. Half the time, bulletin board material's made up. It still works for college football players. So uh, that's a very fancy way of saying, please give me five-star reviews. So we've got a lot to talk about this morning. Obviously, a ton of you, hundreds and hundreds of you have asked recruiting questions. And myself, Steve Wolfong was in town yesterday, Trey Scott. We did our National Signing Day show. We had Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins, Ryan Day joined us, had Nick Saban, who will be on Late Kick Live later tonight. You'll want to check out that interview. We had a lot to talk about, and we got a lot to talk about on the heels of that this morning. Not necessarily, you know, a recruit for recruit breakdown, but I think it's worth kind of diving in a lot of the same way we did to wrap up the show yesterday. Just overall overarching stuff that would appeal to even the casual fan, but also matters to the diehard fan sort of recruiting talk. And we're going to interlace a lot of other elements and tidbits along with it because I know I promised you guys a story Tuesday and I'm going to give it to you. It's, it's the first time your boy, as I said, ever went west of the Mississippi River. So let's dive in. And I'm not going to go one particular question because so many of you just asked general takeaways, you know, on National Signing Day. I think first and foremost, like it's obvious, it's a huge deal when you have spent as much time as I have and you guys have kind of pouring over recruiting rankings every year. It used to be that yesterday would have been like our Christmas. And now with the way the early signing date has changed the overall structure, yeah, it doesn't necessarily feel like that anymore, but it's a huge deal. I mean, overall, the recruiting class is a huge deal. And when you pull up the 24-7 sports team rankings, and you look at what Nick Saban in Alabama did, so laughable, so absolutely laughable. They have the highest rated class of all time, not just of this year, but of all time. And so I think back, whereas everyone else was just focused on the here and now yesterday, on the on the National Signing Day show, we talked a lot about how keeping Kamar Wheaton in the fold made sure Alabama was going to secure that number one spot. Yeah, you can talk about all this receiver talent they have coming in. And you can talk about all these offensive tackles, two of them in the top five overall players in the country. Yes, all that's true. Yes, we can talk about that. But you know what my mind went back to? It went back to a question on this very podcast in May of 2020 when one of you asked, Hey, Alabama's got one kid committed. I think at the time it was one kid committed. It was Deontay Lawson. I remember the name vividly. He's high four-star linebacker out of the Mobile area. And you said, is it too early to be concerned about Alabama recruiting? Now, remember, this was after everyone had gone into COVID protocol. And so you found out you weren't going to be able to have camps and coaches aren't going to be able to be out on the road the way they normally would. And you remember which program it was that was surging, at least in the recruiting rankings. It was the University of Tennessee. Feels like a lifetime ago. This is less than a calendar year ago, guys. Feels like a lifetime ago. 
And so I took that question on the podcast. And what I remember at the time saying is, well, I know one thing. Alabama's not going to finish in the 40s in the recruiting rankings. Now, here's what I didn't know at the time. I didn't have all the confidence in the world they were going to be top three. Um, maybe top three. I certainly didn't have confidence they were going to be number one, much less overtake Ohio State. Double much less have the highest rated class of all time. So here's what happened. Some of you remember this. And for those of you who don't, here's the quick story. So we were doing that feature called Social Distance, which, which was where we were just taking the time that we were at home to try and interview as many famous people as possible. Let's just put it how it is. Not even football. I had Matthew McConaughey on Social Distance. So we went above and beyond to try and lock down as many A-listers as we could. Well, the biggest A-lister in the world of college football is, of course, Nick Saban. So we get him. And I'm right there in my apartment. I remember it vividly because it was the afternoon that the Blue Angels decided to do a flyover over downtown Nashville. So I had Nick Saban on a Zoom call as there were fighter jets flying over my apartment, which is not even like the top three craziest things that have happened at the apartment complex this year. What with the tornado and the bombing and all. So I'm asking Nick Saban the question that one of you asked me and he deadpanned it. And he just kind of said, we're doing everything exactly as we normally do. He didn't say it, but you could tell he was basically dismissive of any kind of doubt. Like they didn't have a question because here's what they know at that time. Here's what Nick Saban knows at that time that you nor I have any capability of knowing. He knows how many kids he could snap his fingers and get to verbally commit. Like they know how selective they're being, in other words. And so, yeah, there was only one verbal commitment as far as you and I know. But every day they're, they've got guys that ended up becoming commits of theirs that probably are trying to commit that can't commit. And so... They were just being really selective when you can't get guys on camp and you can't do the kind of thorough evaluations that they're known for and the top programs are known for. It's just the approach that they chose. So now, as we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say back in the day, well, now we know Alabama is number one overall in the country. And I'm like, to me, my mind just gravitates towards how unconventional it seems that they could replace all their receiver talent. So over the past two cycles, exiting the program, not entering the program. You've had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs both go on, along with, you know, their quarterback, who was pretty good, too, Tua Tungavailoa. Now you got Najee Harris as, you know, one of the better receivers in the country, too. He happens to play running back, but he's gone along with Devontae Smith, a Heisman Trophy winner. Jalen Waddle, who could have been a Heisman Trophy winner. I just know how unconventional it is in your mind. If you're driving around right now, or, you know, you're at work and you got you got the earbuds in listening, you got to be thinking to yourself, okay, finally, all these receivers are gone from Alabama. And yet, now you got to learn the name Ja'Cory Brooks, five-star receiver. You got to learn the name Aggie A. Hall, high four-star receiver. You got to learn names like JoJo Earl, which is one of my favorite names in this entire process. You got to learn Christian Leary. They just bring another wave. It's not one guy, two guys. That would be exciting. It's this wave of talent that comes in. You look at Alex Leatherwood, just holding down that franchise left tackle position. Well, okay, maybe they'll kick Evan Neal over there, but at least that offensive line is going to take a step back. Here comes J.C. Latham. Number one overall offensive lineman in the country. Here comes Tommy Brockermeyer, number two overall offensive lineman in the country. There are a couple of offensive tackles rated inside the top five this year of overall player ratings. Bama got both of them. So, yeah, that's obviously first and foremost what stands out. We spent a lot of time talking about Oregon on the show yesterday. The Oregon recruiting class fascinates me. So, number one, it's just rated really high. Uh, it's squarely inside the top 10. Uh, Oregon and USC both rated inside the top 10. But I'll tell you specifically, What really fascinates me and kind of intrigues me, I guess is the better word about the Oregon signing class, is having the quarterback like Ty Thompson in there 
Um, Michigan's got this with J.J. McCarthy. Like Oregon's got it with Ty Thompson. You're just wondering, is that the guy? Is that the guy to make us turn into what Clemson's turned into, Bama's turned into, Ohio State, Oklahoma, what those programs have turned into? Georgia, to a certain extent, is still in this boat, although they've made it deeper into the postseason than the aforementioned programs have. But you look at Ty Thompson, and there's not a whole lot else that needs to be done right at Oregon. This is not some roster that's miles apart from the big boys in college football. They're not there, but they're certainly squarely at the top of Tier 2, let's say. And stacking classes like this will only further solidify that. But they haven't had star quarterback play, even when Herbert was there. Like Will Fong and I and Trey were talking about this on the show yesterday, on the signing day show. It's not that Justin Herbert wasn't good. It's that every time you watched him at Oregon and you watched his film and then you looked at mock drafts that had him top five overall, you knew those mock drafts were based a lot more on measurables than college production. I want a guy at Oregon that has bona fide elite star production quality. Like That's what I want to see. Because if you're an Oregon fan or if you're just a fan of having the talent more thoroughly dispersed in the sport and having programs that matter on the West Coast, that is the key to unlocking that door. Southern Cal, they've had elite quarterbacks before. It's been a little while. It feels like it's been a lot longer since Marcus Mariota than it really has been. But part of that is you have a new coaching staff in there. And so I got to see it done at an elite level under a Mario Cristobal regime. Once that happens, you could have a floodgate effect. They already recruit national by default. They've got to recruit national to be ranked anywhere close to where they're ranked right now. But if you start getting quarterback play at an elite level, then think of all the perimeter skill talent that you get in there. You keep some of those West Coast kids home, just make them go up the coast a little ways. And then all of a sudden, Oregon is not being compared to USC anymore. They're not being compared to Washington anymore. They're being compared to teams across the country. Ohio State, you know, the usual suspects. I get tired of rattling off the same three or four program names. That's really intriguing to me. Um, Some other teams... I just mentioned J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback commit from Michigan. I think that one's really intriguing, too, because that's a program where you're just waiting. It's kind of like Oregon uh, to a different degree, though, because they're a little bit more in the spotlight at Michigan with the whole Jim Harbaugh, whatever we want to call that. But what if J.J. McCarthy comes in there and what if he is a guy who possesses all the intangibles and then he's got the tangible physical characteristics and he's a guy that all of a sudden is finally in what, six or seven years into the Jim Harbaugh tenure there, he's finally what they need at quarterback. And all of a sudden it goes from the same people calling for Jim Harbaugh's head are the same people kind of patting Michigan on the back for having patience, uh, which you shouldn't be allowed to do, but a lot of people will wear both of those hats. So if that's the guy, and then you're bringing in talent like Xavier Worthy, he's a big West Coast wide receiver. Alabama was in it really deep for him. Donovan Edwards, I mean, that's a high four-star running back. We've got him rated five stars in-house here at 24-7. Like, you have reason to be excited by those three offensive talents, the likes of which you haven't really had much reason to be excited in recent history. And for all the negativity around the Michigan program, kind of down the stretch in this year, but really throughout the year, for all that negativity and for all the speculation as the season wound down off the field, here we sit. It's Jim Harbaugh still in the driver's seat. It's Josh Gaddis still as the offensive coordinator. And then also you're bringing in some skill talent to where maybe finally you've been trying to press the right offensive buttons. It's just nothing's been firing. So now you're like the Russian cosmonaut on the space station in Armageddon. You just go down there and you take a sledgehammer to the frozen pipes and you just hit it and hit it and hit it. And finally, you hit it once more and everything cranks up and you're good to go. And so now you and Bruce Willis can go save the world. Well, I mean, we just got to have the Armageddon effect in reverse at Michigan. Got to get the right pieces in there. 
press that button over and over again. Maybe finally things will fire for Josh Gaddis and company. And that concludes my uh, Armageddon, Michigan metaphorical comparison today. But one other program, I guess in a sea of many programs, that stood out to me was LSU. You know, LSU, there have been a lot of off-the-field issues down there that I don't think it is worth much of our time speculating on, like Title IX investigations. I'm not going to lie to you and try and fool you into thinking I know what's about to happen with that. I have no clue how that stuff's handled. So outside of my purview, inside my purview is football and recruiting. And I think we can talk about that a fair amount here. And obviously we do. So with LSU, if you were to have watched the 2019 season, and then you kind of took a vacation from college football in 2020, and you decided, I'm going to come back on signing day 2021, things would look totally normal without having known anything about the 2020 season. Last time you saw LSU, they were winning a national title. I guess you would assume they did good in 2020, but the next vision you have of them is, okay, they've got a top five recruiting class, kept some big time targets in state, you know, Mason Smith, one of the top overall defensive tackles in the country, kept him home, got some really good quarterback play potentially there in Garrett Nussmeyer. But I mean, there's some really big names, Sage Ryan, they were neck and neck with Alabama for that five-star defensive back. So it looks like a good class, man, in between the sandwich of this signing day and that 2019 national title, there's been a lot of, you know, what, And for them to kind of have weathered that storm, not perfect by any stretch, but they're still in a position roster-wise where it's not like a USC situation from last year. Like Southern Cal fell off a cliff last year. And by the way, to their credit, they they climbed back up the ravine this year with the same coaching staff, uh, at least at the top. But LSU, you know, they've had all that mess. They're still top five. And so it's certainly not time to punt on LSU football, at least from a roster standpoint. Now, we'll see how they do on the field this fall. I've told you, well chronicled at this point, are my thoughts that 2021 is not what I would call a make or break. Because I don't know if anyone's going to get fired if they go 8-4 and this year. I do know I think we're going to learn a whole lot about what the long-term potential is for that program, which sounds asinine because you're talking about a team and a head coach that's already won a national title. I don't know. I mean, if they go eight and four, seven to five this year, how will that 2019 title feel to you? Not to an LSU fan, mind you. It always means the world to you. But I'm talking about outside of LSU. And you're just, let's say you're an Oklahoma State fan and you're looking at it. I don't know how we necessarily feel about that. So those were a few of the broader takeaways from National Signing Day. All right. Now I take a deep breath. And before I forget, I know I promised you guys a story. So this is about as hard a pivot as we can make. We're going from National Signing Day, which I'm not done with, by the way to making sure I can get this story in here. So you want to know about your boy going to L.A. for the first time and L.A. not meaning lower Alabama? I'll tell you right after this. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So here's the scene. The year is 2009. 
I've basically never been west of the Chattahoochee River, much less the Mississippi River, much, much less Los Angeles. I've certainly never seen an ocean other than the Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico. And so I have an acquaintance, let's just say, he was my boss at the time, knows I love college football more than anything. He knows I want to get in the college football media world. (laughs) I have no shot at it. I mean, that might as well have been me saying, dude, I want to go to the moon back then. This was 2009 again, but he did figure he was very well off financially. And so he figured, you know, the very least I can do is I can let this guy go to the national championship game. So not only does he take care of funding for the trip, but he tells his brother who lives in Brentwood, not Tennessee, Brentwood, LA, California. He tells him, Hey, a couple of guys are coming out there to stay with you, deal with it. And so I end up going out there with a buddy of mine, National championship games at the Rose Bowl. That's in Pasadena. That's a little bit north of town. So we stay in Brentwood. Let me tell you, I kid you not. So this is 2009. Uh, the, the whole OJ deal is about a decade and a half before that. So the house has already been torn down and rebuilt. But we are staying in a circle, sort of like a big cul-de-sac area where OJ and Nicole had lived back then where that the Rockingham estate had been. We're in that neighborhood Uh, John Travolta's got a house in this neighborhood. Conan O'Brien was currently living there. This is when Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner were together. Rest in peace to that relationship. They were living across the street, catty-cornered to Kiefer Sutherland's house, who was also living all in this little block where I, from west-central Georgia, Harris County, to put a finer point on it, had found myself camping out for the national championship game. So to say that I was underdressed and out of my element would be the understatement of all time. So then we got a day before the title game. So the the guys we're staying with, he's an older, it's an older couple. They were courtside season ticket Laker holders, by the way. They were in their 80s and enrolled at UCLA. They had been in college their whole life. They were dedicated to lifelong learning. Plus, they lived about three minutes from the campus there at UCLA. And so We cross over the 405, we get on Sunset Boulevard. Basically, all these songs that I've listened to my whole life, the roads that I would hear mentioned in those songs, I actually got to drive on all of them. So we go down uh, down Sunset Boulevard. We go down to what I had called Rodeo Drive (laughs) until that point. Uh, You know, Rodeo Drive to uh, cultured Americans. It's just Rodeo Drive to us in Harris County. So we're on Rodeo Drive. And, oh, man, there's all these Armani and Ferrari and all these places. But here's what's great. So the national championship game's happening the next day, which means a lot of Alabama and Texas fans, just college football fans are in town. So you're on Rodeo Drive, Rodeo Drive, and yet you're seeing folks in like sleeveless crimson attire and cowboy hats walking all over the place. And so it was a great experience to be able to cast your eyes upon this sea of crimson and burnt orange in places you would never otherwise see them. And then to look at the locals, the regulars or tourists, and they're wondering, is this always how L.A. is? I don't know. I mean, to a certain extent, it's a melting pot. I don't know if it's a melting pot with that many ingredients in it all the time, but that was great. That was a wonderful experience. So then the next day we get to go to the Rose Bowl and you got to understand, man, like if you grew up in the South, you hear stories about the Rose Bowl, but this is pre, this is sort of pre-college football playoff where a lot more games were rotating through there. Like unless you played in the national championship game, a Southern team wasn't going to the Rose Bowl. It was always Pac-12, and it was always Big Ten, or Pac-10 at the time, and Big Ten. So it was huge. It's like That's why I was so adamant about being able to go. I thought, growing up in the South, I thought I'd never have a reason to go out there again. So we go out there. You know, you come into Pasadena. Uh, you park on the golf course there. 
and it got to experience Nick Saban's Alabama team win their first national championship. And so it was that whole if Colt wouldn't have gotten hurt sort of deal, which still pains. I know some of our Texas listeners, but hopefully things are on the up and up for you guys now. But to be able to look back in retrospect now, having been able to cover several additional Alabama national title games and to be in their locker room post game and to, you know, talk to Nick Saban one on one to look back then. I never forget how much that meant to me. I never forget how finite I thought those opportunities would be, not knowing what the future held. So that trip has always, it's always held a very special corner of my heart. The time that I went from Harris County, Georgia, not direct flight, had to go to Atlanta, to Los Angeles, stayed in Brentwood, around all these folks who have a net worth higher than I can even count on a calculator. That was a fun time. So that was the story I was going to tell you. Somehow that was precipitated by a question about whether one of our listeners who is an NC State fan should go to Mississippi State this year, should go to a game on the road. And somehow we went from there to the last five minutes of your life that I just shared with you. So, man, only on this podcast. All right, let's roll on here. Jason asked, how do you think overall Miami will fare over the next few years? This was a question from the other day, and I kind of pushed it ahead because I wanted to see what signing day was going to hold for Manny Diaz and the Hurricanes. This, This to me... If you were talking about the future and we were just talking with that trip I took, we were just talking about things you could never foresee. So there's a lot around the corner in college football right now that everyone knows something's around the bend. They don't know what it's going to hold. No one really knows how the transfer portal is going to play out long term. No one knows how name, image and likeness is going to play out long term. But yet, you know, they're there. So I want you to think about Miami as they're currently constructed. That's a pretty good program. I mean, they were inside the top 10 at various points this year. That's a pretty good program already. I want you to think about what the future could hold for a program like Miami. Let's talk about the transfer portal to begin with. We touched on this on our signing day show yesterday. Think about how much talent leaves South Florida every year. And that's not even a total knock on Miami. They couldn't keep all those guys home even if they wanted to. They wouldn't have room. It's just there's too much talent down there. So in any given year, think about how many kids are leaving South Florida to go anywhere from Clemson to NC State to to, to Oklahoma, like everywhere in between. All kind of players, high five-star guys, upper three-star guys, but think about how many of them are leaving. It is an absolute inevitability that a certain percentage of them are, because of the transfer portal now, going to get homesick after year one and want to come home. Well, there just happens to be a Power 5 program parked right there in Miami. It is the University of Miami. So they could lose on a bunch of guys on the recruiting trail out of high school and still end up benefiting honestly, more from the transfer portal, maybe even than traditional recruiting. And that could be just this, it's this kind of fallback option where everyone collectively prodigal sons their way back home to Miami and they end up getting a second shot on the Hurricanes roster. And by then, you know, you know, in some cases, if they can play football or not at the college level. And you've, you've basically it's 13th grade is what I may start calling it. They've gotten to their 13th grade. And so, you know, a little bit more about them. They are uniquely positioned to take advantage of that. Here's another area they're uniquely positioned to take advantage of. Name, image, and likeness. Everyone has focused on the West Coast schools like, man, imagine what UCLA and USC are going to be able to do with all the branding opportunities and promotional opportunities that they can include in a package that they can pitch to you know, prospective athletes, however this ends up working out. Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of that in South Florida, too. And again, there's a program down there uniquely equipped to take advantage of it. And so I see in five years, Miami, the recruiting machine down there. You know all about the Miami sound machine with Gloria Estefan. How about the Miami recruiting machine or the Miami acquisition machine? Because it could be one part traditional recruiting and then another part 
heavy reliance on the transfer portal year over year. And then another part, name, image, and likeness, where they're just knocking it out of the park. And the Miami experience for a student athlete is a lot different now than it was in 2020 or 2015 or 2010. So Jason, to answer your question, I can't guarantee that any of that stuff's going to be properly leveraged by Miami, but I can tell you, I think that there is no better program position to benefit uniquely from what's about to come in the sport of college football than are the Miami Hurricanes. So I'd be very excited. I mean, even if it's not ultimately Manny Diaz that does it, and I'm not talking hot seat or anything, like they're on the right track right now, but even if it wasn't Manny Diaz, someone, the right someone, Manny or otherwise, is going to come in there and take advantage of that. And all of a sudden, Miami's going to be looked at as a destination job again, which it always should have been. But uh, if it's not right now, it certainly will be in the future. All right, Caleb's going to wrap us up here this morning. Caleb asked, do you think spring practice will happen as normal? I don't know, Caleb. I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis. Remember, the 2020 season didn't even happen as normal, congruently. Like, there were eight games played here, nine games played there. And so I think spring may be the same way. Uh, I hope that we can just get it in everywhere. But I'll tell you the one thing. I was talking to a coach at a G5 school uh, last week about this, and I asked him, you know, hey, what's spring going to be like? He said, brother, we hadn't even thought about it. I mean, we thought about it, but we haven't even started hardwiring ourselves into spring because the way we look at it, we learned so much this year about what we're capable of doing if we're really pressed. I think a lot of programs learn that. Think about recruiting. You know, I'm talking about spring practice, but think about if you were to have told a coaching staff at the beginning of 2020, hey, you're not going to be able to have any camps. There's going to be no official visit season at all. Oh, and you're going to have to use this this program on your computer you may have never heard of called Zoom. That's the only way you're going to be able to talk to guys. Dude, people would have freaked out of their minds. And yet it ended up being okay because, you know, the playing field was roughly level. Everyone had to use it. But guys got by and they translated it and they kind of adapted. I mean, that's the name of the game. You got to adapt or you die in this sport and in life. So there's that. But also you took away spring practice from a lot of programs. Clemson got theirs in somehow. And yet uh, they called because they started early. That's the how. And then other programs didn't. And yet, I mean, Clemson didn't win the national title. Alabama did. Alabama didn't have a spring practice. Ohio State didn't have much of a spring practice. And so they just adapted. And so with spring this year, can they have it? Yes, I hope they will have it. I certainly don't see any reason why they can't. But I just don't think that whereas normally like it would be imperative if you miss a practice in spring practice, you worry about it relative to your competition. Now it's, hey, man, if we have five, if we have 15, if we can or can't have a spring game, whatever, we'll make it work. I mean, look at what we were able to do. 2020 removed a lot of excuses. I'm just telling you, the 2020 college football season took a lot of what would be excuses that are normally used, and it took them, it wadded them up, and it threw them right out the window. So spring practice, my hope is yes. Can't guarantee anything. I do think things will be fine either way, though. So good stuff there. Uh, Reminder, next week, I mean, we'll be back to normal. We'll be doing these things 45 minutes to an hour, hopefully. So make sure you get your questions in. JoshPate706 at gmail.com. That's the way to email me. Also, if you're looking for a one-on-one Zoom session, maybe looking to get into sports media, start your own YouTube channel. I'm talking to someone right now looking to start a real estate channel. It doesn't have to be college football sports media. Just if you're looking to do that sort of thing, your own independent content creation, I'm happy to schedule a one-on-one Zoom session with you. We get really deep, really granular, the finer points. It's not some pep talk or anything like that. So joshpate706 at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at LateKickJosh. Also appreciate the follows there. And remember to drop a five-star review here. Until next time, for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Late Kick Extra Podcast. Have a great day and God bless.
bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent the personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.